This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, it's a Tuesday. We're ready to still talk some draft stuff with you. We'll get into just what the subject matter will be here in a second. And we will also, in the second hour of the show, have the one and only Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, breaking down each and every pick and what the film told him about each and every one of Buffalo's six draft choices. So there's that. To look forward to an hour number two. Um, Developments around the NFL, Steve, today, and I would say probably the headliner is what the Packers decided to do on Jordan Love. Just days after consummating the trade of Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, the Packers make as much of a commitment as possible without a ton of evidence on what he is going to be to Jordan Love. They declined the fifth-year option yesterday. Deadline came and went. But today they sign him to a one-year extension for $22.5 million, 13.5 of which is guaranteed. Clearly, the Packers saw this as a better option than the fifth-year option, which would have guaranteed a full $20.25 million. As we know, the fifth-year option salaries are fully guaranteed, um, barring injury. And so the Packers did not want to do that, and they came to terms on a contract that actually gives him a little bit more money. But spreads it out. But only guarantees a little more than half of it. Right. Rather than all of it. And I get it from a Packers perspective. It's like, well, hold on a second here. We got we to gotta know what we got first. Um, but let's give you two years to make this work. This year and next year. That's your on-ramp period. And if we're not seeing anything then we may have to pull the ripcord and start over. Something that the Packers have not had to do in about 30 years. My question is, why is Jordan Love signed that deal? Um, it's a good question. But once, you, once the Packers tell you we're declining the fifth-year option, what other option do you have? Just don't sign anything and go into yeah, free agency next year? Absolutely. And what if you flop? Still go in there. I mean, that's the thing. You, so he – this is about him – and his safety net? Well, it's either I get a one year, I get one year to show I'm good, Guaranteed or the Packers 13. here are willing to give me two years to show I'm good because they're right. not going to pay him twenty million dollars, thirteen and a half guaranteed, and then ship him off. Well, here's unless the, he's completely dreadful this year. That's right. Here's what it is: Jordan Love took thirteen million guaranteed now instead of playing the season in the hopes of getting twenty over twenty million guaranteed. Actually, except they already declined it. So if he didn't sign that deal, if he didn't sign that deal. You're meaning this extension This extension, the Packers got him for one year and that's it. And that's, and then that would, to me, if if you're Jordan Love and you're going to bet on yourself, you're not going to get into a better spot now. And you're going to get into a better spot than you are right now. You've been there for two or three years. You know the offense. You're going to roll with this offense. Let them decline your fifth year. Because then, if, they, if you'd hit it out of the park, they're going to franchise you. And then you get $40 million guaranteed. 
It'll probably be close to that by next year. The franchise, it's 32 and change now. No, that's the exclusive. The that's the non-exclusive franchise. It's already over 40 for the exclusive franchise. Right. So if they exclusive franchise them, it's going to be 45, 46 million next year. I, I don't sign that deal. If I'm Jordan Love, you got, come on, man, take bet on yourself for a minute. You've been there for three years learning this. You're finally going to get a chance to spread your wings, and you're going, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? I, the only thing I Him can... signing this deal is akin to saying, I don't think I got it. Really? Yeah. I wonder if it's – I have two years to really perfect this for sure if I sign this because are they going to cut me? And pay me $13.5 million not to play? That, that all sounds great, except the fact he's already been there three. I know. He's got to know what's going on. He's got to be ready for this. You would think. He's got to hit the ground running. He's got to have a rapport with these guys. He's got to know the offense. He's got well, to be chomping at the bit. Well, maybe because of that, he wants to stay. And so all they're willing to give him right now is a one-year extension. And they probably tell him, look, Jordan, we like you. We believe in you. But we can't get to a spot yet where we give you a big long-term contract extension. We need to see it on the field. Once that happens, and if it happens this year, maybe we talk Turkey next year and tear up what we've got for next year, which they can do now. Because once you exercise the 50-year option, you're committed to it. Right. And you can't. You can't bail. Yeah. So I think this affords the Packers flexibility also. So if Jordan – so let's take it from – we looked, took it from the negative side. Let's take it from the positive side. Jordan Love comes out and hits a home run, goes to the Pro Bowl, throws 40 touchdown passes, and is in the running for league MVP. Well, now they can go back to the table and say, you want to – like his age is probably going to go, let's tear up this thing for 2024 and start over, or we're not coming to camp. There you go. Right. I get all that. No. He could have been a free agent. Right. I, the pa- and the Packers just cho- – just – puked up a hundred million bucks for the guy they just got rid of. What do you think they're going to do for this guy? Puked up. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> this to me reeks of uncertainty on both sides of this. Well, it's uncertainty on the Packers side because it's only one year. That's number one. And yeah, you probably, you probably have a point that Jordan Love is a little uncertain himself. I mean, I get it. Taking eight and million says, bucks All right, guaranteed. Let me take thirteen and a half guaranteed. He gets thirteen million bucks guaranteed a year early, where he could have had twenty-two million and a quarter, twenty-two or twenty, over twenty million guaranteed. I on mean, fifty-year option. Yeah, but on the, a fifty-year option. But the Packers option. weren't signing. They weren't. Get, they were declining it. I, I would. So you knew you're not. You knew you weren't getting that. So here, here you have an opportunity. To lock in twenty million dollars or twenty-two and a half million dollars, and yeah. you haven't done a lick of anything in this league. So let me put it to you that way, Steve. You're a you're a third-year player. You've barely gotten on the field. You have a really good chance to start this year and play the whole season as a starter. But before you even go to OTAs, your team comes to you and says, "Hey." Want to tack a year on to what you're making now. How does $22.5 million sound and will guarantee 13 and a half of it? Aren't you signing it? <clears throat> I don't know, man. I just think it, it's 
to me. You think he's sacrificing a chance to make a lot more money? Oh, obviously, absolutely, absolutely. Which which is a which is a valid point because when you have thirty two teams bidding on your services, the price is going to go up. Um, and it wouldn't be all thirty two, but probably twenty. <laughs> You know yeah, what I mean? he signed a one-year, twenty-two point five, and thirteen fives guaranteed. But he hadn't done anything. I mean, he's I, been there for three years. I know. I got all the respect. He's to been th- bet- he's been there for three years. I got all the respect in the world for the betting on yourself mantra. I get it. Totally get it. He chose not to do that. That now, tells you. That now, tells you. That tells you what you need to know right there. And now, Steve Tasker thinks less of it. I do. <laughs> I, I don't. I can Man, tell. I, not only do that, not only that, you tell them you, they did, they're not going to do your fifth year option. Would you like to sign a a deal? No. I would not. Thank you. No. Yeah. And I'll tell you this: you're going to have a hard time getting me to sign anything. Because I got one year to prove this, and I'm going to go. Let's go. And let me tell you, let's not forget, they're playing against the Lions and the Bears twice. And the and Minnesota. Yeah, I, I, I get all that. They're going to win that division with Jordan Love. Then what are they going to do? Are you convinced of that? Yeah. Okay. They're as good as any of those teams. Yeah. Detroit was a tough out last year. They yeah, should, they should be better this year. Well, of course they go are. back and look are, at their history. They also don't have players for go back at least and, six games because they were betting on right. college basketball. Go back and look at their history after they have a nice year. Go back and look at their history. It's not it's not rosy. I'll give you that. Same thing with the Bears. They're still they still they're still still stuck in the chasm from the Jim Nagy era. They're still coasting on that eleven win season, the double doink games. I mean, they, that division is an atrocity. That's why the – that's why the – I'm telling you. They're going to – I think he totally missed an opportunity. Now, he may know something about himself that he says, listen, I better take the $13 million while I can because I'm never going to see another dime because I stink. That's what he's basically saying. Well, then, if that's the case, and he's and he's right about that, then he is smart because he's taking right. thirteen and a to half. To me, that's what he's saying because he doesn't give himself anything by taking this deal because it gives him an extra year to dangle him along. And twenty-two million isn't what he should be making. If he has, if he knocks it out of the park, like you said, they will they'll tear up the contract. Fine, but you're only dealing with the Packers. You're not dealing with the Packers and the and Minnesota and Detroit and Chicago. And L.A. and all these other teams. So do you give credit to the Packers for the snow job that they've just executed here? Yeah. Good business. I mean, it's good business. I, I, but I, if, I'm the, if I'm up at the top of the Packer organization, I'm looking at the other guys around the table after we think, yeah, all right, cool, we got yeah. the guy. Designed. We're looking at each other and goes, he doesn't even think he can do it. I would be a little concerned. Am I wrong? Am I not no, seeing this right? No, I, I get what you're saying. I, your, I get it. Your side of the argument has validity. It does. I get it. That's thir- you know, thirteen million guaranteed over the next two years. That's that is not chump change. It but might be at quarterback, but at quarterback in the National Football League who plays well. No, who plays at the mean, at average, or around there. If he plays Derek Carr or Andy Dalton in his prime, 
Kirk Cousins in his prime. I mean that Kirk Cousins put up numbers. Didn't win, but he put up numbers. If that's what that's all he's that's the bar. That's the bar. Yeah. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mario yeah. football. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the right? Speaking of the bar, Lions general manager Brad Holmes said the team has open dialogue about a contract extension for Jared Goff. Um the Lions did draft Hendon Hooker, Steve, with the 68th pick. Goff is only signed through the 2024 season, so he has two years left on his deal. We know Hooker is probably not going to be ready at the start of this season due to the knee injury, although he is, quote-unquote, ahead of schedule, according to reports. But yeah. the general feeling out of the Motor City is – that the Lions would like to sign Goff to a bridge-type extension. He's got this year and next year on his existing contract. The general feeling there is that they would only add a year, possibly two, to the contract, at which point, if all goes well with Hendon Hooker, he'd be able to pull a Jordan Love. Right. Do you think an extension is necessary? Because he signed for this year and next year. Isn't that the bridge contract already? That's no, I wouldn't change it at all. In fact, get him into Why that. Why are last, they looking to extend that, it? That because they're, they're the lines. Because the lines. That's say absolutely that. <laughs> that is absolutely the wrong thing to do, and that's why it's gonna happen. That contract is perfect. Yeah, leave it alone, right? Leave it alone. Because it'll because Goff will stay motivated to play well. And there's a deadline for Hendon Hooker to get ready. Right. There's no reason to. There's no reason to sit there and you know rub these guys on their back and say, "Oh no, 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 we we love you. You did good, honey. You did, you did good, honey. <laughs> Bless your heart." No, there's none of that. You light a fire under the both of them, and you leave his contract exactly how it is. Now, if if they got cap things and they want to fix, that's different. Um, if they need relief from Jared Goff's contract, that's a different thing. But I think that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. You do not extend Jared Goff on the last two years of a deal when you just drafted Hendon Hooker. That's it's the perfect. They got it's perfect the way it is. Yeah, I mean that's that's a. I, and I'll tell you this: I love the Hendon Hooker pick because that guy can play. He's a good player. When he was healthy at Tennessee. That guy could go. Now, you can make say what you want about the, the level of sophistication of the Tennessee offense and all of that, and what they asked him to do wasn't real high-level stuff. But, man, oh, man, that guy was playing and playing at a high level. And you can see by the, the – we're watching the video. That guy – you know, guys rallied to that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you – yeah. You got it going. Just leave it, man. You got it. It's nice job. That's – Forget all the bad stuff they're saying about your draft. This could save the whole thing. But you don't, don't throw money after Jared Goff. Yeah. And I don't know. And I'll say this. This is us from the outside looking in. They may think, you know, Jared Goff walks on water, for all we know. And they did have some moments last year where their offense, not even moments, their offense was very good last year. No question about it. So they may think Jared Goff is – 
spectacularly good, and they want him to be a lion all along the lines of Matthew Stafford kind of guy, all there for his entire career. Okay, if that's the case, you see something nobody else does. Yeah. But other than that, do not extend him. Yeah. Because the think about the motivation. Enough. Think about the motivation that he's going to have to play and play well. You can get the best guy you can possibly get. Yeah, I think part of the issue is I think he's only set to make $31 million this year, which is just a hair under, you know, the top 10, the average of the top 10 salaries. So it's almost franchise money. Why do they feel they have to pay him more? Has he been better that's than at the, yeah. nine or 10 franchise about, quarterbacks? That's at the end of have. his second contract as a, as a like, top pick. Yeah. So he's made a pile. Compared, you know, he's making the whole contract that he signed. You know how we get these contracts; and nobody yeah. sees the end of them. He's going to get the whole thing, which is a big, a big number. So I don't know. You know, he he won't be able to complain at the end of it. So I'm, if I'm the Detroit Lions, I, no, you yeah. just play it out. Let's see what you got, and just light a fire under him, and that would also set the level of play for Hendon Hooker when he does get his chance. The Jets improved their offensive line, signing veteran guard-slash-tackle Billy Turner, who had worked with both Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett with the Packers and the Broncos. So he is on board on the Jets' offensive line, this on the heels of the Bill or the Bills. The Jets drafting two offensive linemen over the weekend. They drafted one of Steve's favorite, Joe Tipman, and then in the fourth round, they drafted Pitt offensive tackle Carter Warren. So it's not like they didn't draft linemen. They drafted right. an interior guy and an edge guy, and they're going to add Billy Turner, who is a guard. So between the draft and post-draft free agency, they've added a center, a guard, and a tackle uh, as they try to bolster their ranks. I told you, I was hammering that on area. Joe Tipman. He was the first player I mentioned when we started looking at the prospects for this draft to Brownie um, as a guy the Bills He put it on get. the whiteboard. Um, he's 6'5", three Bills, 3'10", something like that, 3'11", and he runs well, and he played center. So he plays, you know, center slash guard, uh, really athletic young guy, and yeah, you knew he was going to get grabbed. And he did by the Jets, and I thought it was a great pick by them. Um, he, he's going to be a Nick Mangold type of player, I think. Maybe not the same style of player, but that oh, so kind of stability. Yeah, he, you think he's going to be a 10-, 12-year player? Yes, I think that guy's going to play okay. as long as he wants. Wow. All right. Fair enough. That is Around the NFL, presented by Collada Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. We have an interesting topic on the table for you today concerning the Bills' draft class. And basically, the way it goes, what is your rookie year outlook for the Bills' top two draft choices, namely Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance? What do you think is their outlook year one on the field? I mean, I think we all believe that Osiris Torrance is going to be right there in the running for the starting right guard job. We're going up against Ryan Bates and presumably David Edwards, the free agent signing from the Rams. Right guard, as we were saying on the show yesterday, is probably going to be one of the fiercest competitions in training camp right. this summer. 
The other one's probably middle linebacker. And then what about Kincaid? You know, what's his role? How much does Sean McDermott maybe relent a little little, and get some rookies on the field sooner rather than later? It really hasn't happened, Steve, (laughs) since 2018. That's right. It's a different team, though, too. And the only reason Josh got on the field was because of injury. Um, Think about this. And I, Brownie and, and I. Lack of effectiveness. You, Brownie and I went round and round like this. And, and, and I think I'm in the minority here because I think everybody's got this, this shiny new toy kind of feeling about Dawson or Dalton Kincaid. Right. In regard to Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox. We've already gone over the percentages. The highest team in the league for 12 personnel means two tight ends on the field is like 24%. Yeah. Bills ain't going to come near that. Say they go – if they double it and go 10% or whatever it was. They yeah, I think it was like them. 4%. Right. So, yeah. so if they double it and go up to 10% of the snaps are going to be 12 personnel. Do you really think <clears throat> a, a coaching staff and a team – who drafted a cornerback number one last year when number the cornerback number two was up for grabs, absolutely up for grabs. Dane Jackson was here. They drafted two. They drafted uh, Christian Benford, and they drafted Kyir Elam. Kyir Elam, the number one draft pick, did not start on opening day. Christian Benford did. The rookie did. Now, there's one rookie who did make it on the field, and he played until he got hurt, and then Kyir got on the field. Likewise, uh, the um, – who was I talking about? The, uh, the other uh, – so you think – oh, and also the running back. They drafted James Cook, mm-hmm. number two, second-round draft pick with a third-round draft pick already on the roster. James Cook couldn't get on the field. He comes in, fumbles his first snap. We didn't see him for a month. He couldn't get on the field. And finally, at the end of the season, he started to get sprinkled into the rotation. So a coaching staff that did that to a cornerback when the deck was cleared of cornerback two, and then a running back who you would think they brought in in to beat out a guy that was already here and couldn't get it done. So you're telling me they're going to bring in this first-round tight end, and good as Dalton Kincaid is, they're going to bring in a rookie tight end to beat out an established player who's on his second contract drafted by this coaching staff and this GM that they're going to sit that guy down and give Dalton Kincaid his snaps I don't think it's going to happen I don't think they're playing the same position quite frankly they may not they They, are on paper they may not but like we said if they double the amount of 12 personnel that's only one out of 10 snaps he's going to get I don't think I don't think Dawson Knox is going to be losing the playing time that people think I think one of the top three receivers are. That may be. You know, that may be like a. I think Gabe Davis and Steph Diggs are on the field, but maybe Khalil Shakir isn't. Or Deontay Hardy. Or Deontay Hardy. Or Trent Shurfield. I mean, insert third receiver here, take him off the field, and put Dalton Kincaid on. So I think here's my. Because remember what Brandon Bean called it? He didn't call it 12 personnel, he called it 11 and a half. I'm thinking a a third receiver's coming off the field. That may be. But here's my point. Dawson Knox, I don't think his targets drop at all. Not at all. Okay. I think it's going to be – he's going to have the ex- almost identical role he had a year ago. And the targets to Steph Diggs aren't going to do anything but stay the same or go up. Who, Gabe Davis on the other side, same thing. 
uh, although I think there'll be competition over there. I think the question mark is what happens in the slot. Is it going to be Dalton Kincaid? Is it going to be Trent Shurfield? Is it going to be Deontay Hardy? Is it going to be Khalil Shakir? All those guys have the chops to play that spot. Now, Kincaid has shown the ability to get open and be available, and maybe he gets the kind of targets that Cole Beasley got two years ago. Okay. That in and of itself is in direct contrast to what they have done with other positions all over their roster. Now, this may be a different year. They may be under caprice constraints, and they may want to have a philosophical shift where all of a sudden this this draft pick is different than all the others we've had. Hmm. But I don't think so. I don't think I don't think Dalton Kincaid is going to transform their philosophy of how guys play and when they play. On that very subject, this was a question that we posed to Brandon Bean when we had him on the show at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. We talked about how the Chiefs, who are admittedly about a couple of years ahead of where the Bills are in their build of their roster, had to rely tremendously on rookies last year and put them out onto the field because they needed cheap labor on their roster to stay under the cap, paying Patrick Mahomes more money. He's gobbling up more of the cap. They need more cheap labor, not only on their roster, but on the field, starting. What was it, eight or nine Nine. rookies started for them in the Super Bowl? I don't know if they started, but they certainly got significant playing time. So, So, yeah, there were nine rookies on the field for the the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. We know that the Bills are paying Josh Allen's salary. It's a little bit higher now. They have elite players on this roster like Von Miller, Steph Diggs, Trey White, and others that are gobbling up large portions of the cap. They need cheap labor, too. We know that this is a team that historically has not put rookies on the field sooner rather than later. So we asked Brandon Bean at the Combine, might there be a shift in that philosophy going forward, knowing their constraints against the cap? Here's what Brandon Bean said. And that's where it's the onus. I, I look right in the mirror. It comes back to me. We, I've got to make sure that, uh, you know, myself and our personnel staff get guys that can help us immediately, whether it's a starter um, or a key, you know, key role player, key contributor. And, and again, those guys in last year's class, you know, we we're probably one of the slower teams to put them out there to what your point. Yeah. We we're just, you know, when you got a team that you feel is is very good, you want to make sure you just know. And sometimes until you get them out there in moments, you don't right. know. Yeah. And but we are going to count on, you know, these last couple draft classes that are going into years two and years three and, and then, you know, the other guys on the team. But yeah, this this upcoming draft class, we're going to count on these guys too to help us in some you know some form or fashion. So it it sounds as though they would be willing to go in that direction. Again, I think Dalton Kincaid, Osiris Torrance, maybe even Dorian Williams will have to do a lot of convincing in training camp and in the preseason because earning it is not going to change with the way Coach McDermott runs things. But if they show and demonstrate an ability to be difference makers on this team, I think they do have to get him on the field sooner. I, and he said it, too. He goes, we're one of the slower teams to put him out there. And he goes, it's on me. i got to get these players, fine players that can get out there. But they got a good roster. Let's face it. They're, yeah. they're loaded. So it's hard to come in and bust into a lineup like the Bills can put out there, particularly at the top end of it. But here's how it works in, around all 50, all 32 teams. The, the GM – or the guy who is the de facto GM or whatever you want to label him. He's, you know, like Bill Belichick is the guy in New England, and there's probably some other guys, you know, uh, Sean Payton, 
probably in Denver probably has that kind of power. Yep. Uh, you know, kind of like that. But in all 32 teams, there's a guy who has – this is the 53 guys. These are the guys. He said, and, and in this case, like most teams, it's Brandon Bean saying, here's your roster. These are the guys we've got. These are the guys I want. There you go. Or here's the 80-man roster. You pick your 53 and we'll go from you – know, all that. You know how that is. Now, they talk. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are, like, all about it. They're good friends. They work together very well. And, you know, let's face it, they, they had been working towards working together like this since they were in assistants. Carolina yeah, they were down the food chain in Carolina. But that's how it works. So no matter what Brandon Bean says or does, if he gets 53 guys in there, he doesn't decide who takes the field at all. It's Sean McDermott and his staff that says who's going to take the snaps. So that's that's the hurdle for the draft picks coming in. It's all right, fine and dandy to get drafted number one overall or number two overall like James Cook did last year. But if you can't convince the coaching staff once the practices start that you're a better option, you're sitting. Right. It's, there's none of this Brandon Bean sitting over Sean's shoulder going, listen, you can make me look bad if this guy didn't play. Let's go. There's none of that going on. That's always the way it's been, and that, and it has worked. It's worked extremely well. It has. But that is the question we pose to you today. What is your rookie year outlook for the Bills' top two draft choices? Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. You let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. Open line for you there to get on board, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We take a break here, but back with your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Asking you today, what is your rookie year outlook for the Bills' top two draft choices? Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. You can let us know at 803-0550. It's the local number to get on board, 1-888-550-2550, the toll-free number, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Let's go to the phones where we do have an open line for you, but we're going to lead off today with Brian in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Brian? You're on One Bills Live. How you doing, guys? Good. Uh, I was just wondering, what do you think that they're going to use Kincaid as more of, like a, a Jason Witten or he's a natural tight end or like uh, Travis Kelsey, like a receiver type of tight end? Yeah. I'd just like to hear your answers. Yep. Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't know if we, that there's an easy – Answer, and I, out. <laughs> I think he's going to be moved around quite a bit. Um, Cynthia Freeland is was here today, and we have we're, she's going to be on the podcast this week. And she noted that Travis Kelsey last year, due to the roster maneuverings that the Chiefs did last year, Kelsey played uh, in uh, so many different positions that he had never lined up in in the last three years. This last season in the Super Bowl year, the Chiefs went and won the Super Bowl. Kelsey moved into more different positions as a receiver than he ever had leading up to that point this last year. Maybe Kincaid is a candidate for that. We don't know. Uh, certainly his pass-catching abilities and his skill set in the college level says that's exactly what he's going to be used for. But we don't know. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be in concert with Dalton Knox, Dawson Knox and – Kincaid on the field at the same time or whether they're going to rotate him in and out. I imagine they'll do a little of both. But 
<clears throat> that's the $64 question where Dalton Kincaid's concerned. He's got that skill set, but he's going to be one of those guys that's out wide, away, broken off from the formation, in my opinion, uh, mostly at least a wing back. I don't think he'll be very much in the spot where he's going to have his hand on the ground outside the tackle, although he'll do it because they got to. But I think he's going to be with his hand is going to be off the ground. Yeah, I think mostly. That's basically what Brandon Bean said after drafting him. He, you know, Dawson Knox will probably handle the traditional wide tight end position, inline blocker, etc. And you know, it's not to say he's not going to get targets in the passing game either. You can from that position, but Kincaid will be the F position, which is more the move guy, who could line up in the backfield, be in motion, put in the slot. So he is going to be used, to answer your question, Brian, more like Kelsey is deployed in the Chiefs offense. Um, so now the question becomes, what is the rookie year outlook for him? Does he have 65 targets or does he have 30 in his rookie season? Is he playing 55 snaps a game or 20? Right. Um, this is what we're asking you. Tell us what you think. Is he such a dynamic, a dynamic weapon that they have to get him on the field? And he is a major part of the game plan each and every week. We've talked a lot about how the Bills could, use, could stand to use the middle of the field a little bit more in the passing game. This guy would certainly fill the bill on that front. So what is your rookie year outlook for Dalton Kincaid and for Osiris Torrance for that matter? Let's get back to the phones, and we're going to go to Ulysses in Buffalo. What do you got for us, you? Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, I wanted to know, do you guys think that they'll use Kincaid and Knox the way New England used Gronk and Hernandez because that was a lethal attack when they had it? Yeah, I mean, it's a valid question, and I wouldn't put it past Ken Dorsey, and the reason why is something I brought up the other day. Ken Dorsey was the quarterback's coach in Carolina when they had Jeremy Shockey and Greg Olson as two tight ends, and they ran a lot of two tight end sets. Now, granted, we're talking about 10, 8 to 10 years ago, um, and the game has changed precipitously well, since Hernandez then. Hernandez was at least that long, and, too. Yeah, yeah. If not longer. So there was a time and place for it then. I think there's a time and place for it now, but it's, a di it's going to be a different iteration of it. It's not going to look like that per se. But there, if you have a playmaker who prompts mismatches in the opponent's defense, that is an advantage for you. And Brandon Bean sat here in the studio yesterday and said unequivocally, Dalton Kincaid is a mismatch in the passing game. He thinks so much so that he traded up and gave up a fourth-round pick that he was lamenting but said he'd be able to sleep better knowing he got this guy. He's going to play. Yeah, I, th I don't think Gronk and Hernandez um, or Shockey and Olsen, maybe Shockey and Olsen would be a little closer, are going to be used or deployed exactly like Kincaid and Knox are going to. I don't think it's going to be like that. Certainly they're going to be on the field together at times, no question. Uh, maybe they'll evolve into that, but I don't think because when New England, to my recollection, I could be wrong, but I thought New England had Hernandez and Gronkowski on the field a lot yeah. together. Those two guys were were really, really 
top-notch guy. They would have been all pros on other teams as well, not just because they were in, you know, catching it from Tom Brady. Uh, they were difference makers. Um, don't know that Kincaid is going to be up there. Knox is certainly an established top-flight tight end. But I think these two guys are going to be used in a way that fits their skill set. And I don't think those skill sets exactly match up with Gronk and Hernandez or Olsen and Shockey. But having said that, there's two pretty good players in the passing game. And Knox is a pretty good run blocker as well. I'm really, I, I'm really searching to find a number, a percentage I'm, I'm comfortable with saying this is how much these guys are going to be on the field together. Because there's a lot of guys that want some minutes on the field. You got Sherfield, Hardy, Khalil, along with Davis and Diggs. And then you got these two tight ends. We got James Cook. I mean, we got there's a bunch of guys that want time on this football field and on this team. They're gonna have to carve out a role for themselves. And whoever whoever has the best rapport and the best results with Josh Allen, this just in that's who's gonna be on the field. That's right. who's gonna be on the field. I totally get that. I think that to a large degree in this offense. I don't know that anybody is any more proven than Dalton Kincaid, who comes in here as a wet-behind-the-ears rookie. Khalil Shakir showed some promise at the end of last year, but certainly didn't set the world on fire. Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield are new additions. You don't know how they're going to blend in. So I don't see how they're any different than Dalton Kincaid walking in the door other than a couple of years of experience. They're all new right. to this system, too. So right. to me, I think there is a reasonable path to Kincaid getting on the field, despite the fact that it seems as though there are a lot of roadblocks in front of him. It's going to be really interesting to see the rep counts during training camp for all these guys. Because they're going to, you know, I mean, certainly I don't think there's any other tight end. I mean, even Quentin Morris, I don't think he's going to get time ahead of Kincaid, no. although, no. You, you know, you make an argument that he will, be, to be, at least to begin with. And Kincaid's going to have to work his way up through that because Quentin Morris has got some time in this offense. He's got some catches. Um, I think it's really fascinating because we've seen this organization. We've talked about it in this segment and last segment and throughout. <laughs> Khalil Shakir, James Cook, Kair Elam, none of those guys got on the field. Benford did. Benford did. And he earned it, and he did it from the sixth, from the ground up. I'm so there's no guarantees any of these guys are going to, you know, beat anybody out. And we've seen guys like uh, Naheem Hines come in, and he had trouble picking up the nuances. So they kind of just left him on special teams for the time being to finish out the season. There's a guy with some with some chops and some speed as well. I mean, I, I just. It, I love the roster. They got a ton of guys that can really play and play at a high level. They're going to be a tough out. I know the Bills are kind of flying under the radar because of the way the season ended. But let me just tell you something. They're a headache for if you're going to play the Buffalo Bills this year. And the headache starts with the coaching staff. has got to sort through a lot of really good players to find out the best ones to get on the field. And I think training camp is going to be a real battle. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. And – 
Brownie's he's out there every day with a roster he's going through, and I couldn't do it. He, I don't know how he does it. But you go out there and you're like, oh, I don't see him. I don't see him. It's going to be fun to keep track of who's getting reps. Because remember, to. like a week and a half into training camp last year, it's like, well, who's this Benford guy? He's moving up. He's moving up. And Brownie was the first guy. I got <laughs> Brownie's the first guy outside the football room who said, I don't know, this Benford guy is getting – Getting up to second team. He's and getting some before reps. Before that, he got first team. Yeah, he's getting reps. Later. And on the week later, all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, you can't, you couldn't hide it anymore. And then everybody was on it. But Brownie was the first one. He's, I think it's going to be fascinating because they've. I'm telling you, this roster, I think, is significantly better than it was a year ago when they were, you know, the darling of the media. Let's squeeze in Mark in West Seneca before the break. Here, Mark, what do you got for us here on One Bills Live? Uh, real quick, couple points. Um, as far as Kincaid goes, uh, I'm looking for him to be a part of a lot of different multiple sets. Uh, I think they're going to use Hardy and Sherfield a lot, and, and I want them to. I'm not looking for Kincaid to be on the field 75% of the time. I really want to see them attack teams and make it really confusing and match up problems by going to a lot of different sets all the time. And when Kincaid's on the field, just show that he's a real, real threat. That's what I'm looking for there. As far as Torrance goes, I want to see him win the guard spot and anchor that line. If he can anchor that line against the Jets' tackles and Miami's tackles one-on-one and prove that uh, they can, he can really do that and free up the center and who's ever playing left guard, probably McGovern, to really double-team other guys who are big and strong and give threats, it's going to be go a long way to solidify the middle of our line against uh, really strong physical pass rushes. And lastly, I just I have a question as far as the third-round pick. Is this a shift in theory with the Bills as to what they're looking for? Two years in a row, third round, we draft what we consider a little bit undersized guys, but who can run make tackles and maybe cover a little, especially in one-on-one situations, better than Edmonds did. I mean, Edmonds took up a lot of space in the middle, but he didn't really run with guys and do coverages on tight ends and even running backs out of the backfield in one-on-one situations. That was typically left for for Milano. And I'm just wondering, is this a theory change in what they're doing? And they're not so concerned anymore about a, a Mike linebacker plugging holes. Yeah, so. well, all, all good questions. We are up against the break. We will address all of those, Mark, when we come back. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Hey, everybody, the Bills are giving away tickets to the 105th PGA Championship at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester. Enter today at buffalobills.com forward slash PGA for the chance to win four championship plus tickets to either May 18th and 19th or May 20th and 21st of the tournament. Winners will also receive a Bills golf-themed prize pack. Enter now. BuffaloBills.com forward slash PGA is where you want to head for that. We want to get to Mark's three-pronged commentary, and Steve is going to start with the linebacker thing. The question was, 
Is this a shift in philosophy where you're looking for undersized linebackers to just go run and hit and, more importantly, cover? I don't think it's a philosophical shift. I think it's just an availability in the way the game's starting to evolve. They're getting more and more athletic linebackers who can run and cover space sideline to sideline and drop into coverage and be comfortable in space by themselves, cover up a zone, that kind of thing, Uh, and run maybe an occasion with um, a fast uh, tight end or running back. I think also the reason they've done this in the last couple of years is taking these guys who, by Tremaine Edmonds' standpoint or standards, are smaller. I think the reason for that is the fact that Tremaine Edmonds was a rare, rare dude. He is very rare, and physically, there's just not anybody like him in the league. Uh, you can say what you want about whether he's a great player or a bad player, or a mediocre player, instinctive or not, whatever. His physical traits are unique to him. Um, so you're not going to find guys like that. You're just going to go out and draft another one. There, there aren't guys like that. So uh, at least not enough that you're going to get one whenever you want one or in whatever draft, unless you go way up high to get them. Uh, so that's, that's where you're at with the linebackers. The linebackers available in this draft, the vast majority are built exactly like or close to Dorian Williams. Yeah. And you want to get the best one of those you can get. And Dorian Williams is a really good athlete. He's 228 pounds. Roquan Smith, who was a proven middle linebacker in this league, and now plays for the Ravens after he was traded by the Bears. He is a proven middle linebacker in this league. He's gone to Pro Bowls. He's 236 pounds. Yeah. And he's on the high end of, yeah. in terms of weight. It's That's just where the league is It's now. 220 to 235, and you're between 6 foot and 6'2". And that's where you're at. Yeah. And, the, and, the and, those, ex- and they can scoot. They can and, really run. And the only exceptions, really, are the outside linebackers in a 3-4, which they usually look for taller players to play out there. Yeah, the Greg um, Rousseau's of the world. Yeah, so um, that's where you're at. And I, I don't think it's a philosophical shift. I think that's just an evolution of the game and, and the way it's played, at, uh, particularly at this level. As for Osiris Torrance, I will agree with you, Mark. I, I think you made the investment there. It's a guy who can stand his ground in pass protection and a guy who can be a road grader in the run game. And you have that guy for the very reason that you pointed out, Mark. You look at the defensive lines in this division. You've got a top five draft choice in Quinn and Williams. You have a top five draft choice or a top ten draft choice in Christian Wilkins in Miami. And you've got a second round draft choice in New England by the name of Christian Barmore who came on like a freight train at the end of the year last year. He had been injured in the first half of the season. Guy has the potential to be a dominant defensive tackle. You need someone the size of Osiris Torrance on your starting offensive line. Um, Again, that's going to be a competition that's going to be very heated because he's going against a proven starter in David Edwards, or at least that's our anticipation, and the incumbent starter the last two seasons, Ryan Bates. So – it's far from a gimme, but if this guy is as stout as he appears on tape, I think you got to get him on the field. Yeah, exactly. And I'll say this, too. The, the people are saying, well, if you get these line – I'm going back to the linebacker thing with Dorian Williams and, and those guys and, and, and Bernard. Um, yes. Inspector. Bale Inspector. They're all like that. What it makes a defense do is because you're right. You might get overpowered if you get guards out on these light linebackers and all that kind of thing. Well, 
the response to that is just what we've seen with the Buffalo Bills. You go out and you get some mammoth defensive tackles to protect a young, a, a light linebacker. Let them run to the football. The defensive tackles soak up the offensive line, and the linebackers are free to run to the football. We saw the elevated play down inside last year with Jordan Phillips and Daquan Jones. When those guys are on the field, Tremaine Edmonds had maybe his best year as a pro. It's going to be the same thing for a, a, a linebacker who's not built like Tremaine Edmonds. So that's the response and the way you can kind of get around having a linebacking core that may be a little light in the pants but really fast. You put your weights at some other positions, mainly defensive tackle. Yeah. And they did that last year, and it's yeah. the same crew coming back this year. It worked. Um, just so everybody knows, in terms of listed weights, Terrell Bernard, 224. Balin Specter. 233. A.J. Klein, 240. And then Tyrell Dodson is a little thicker, too. He is 237. So the range there is essentially 224 to 240. And Dorian Williams is right in the middle of that. He's about 228. So it's not – he might be undersized in terms of a weight perspective, but we heard Brandon Bean here yesterday in studio say he has all the physical attributes and skills to play middle linebacker in today's NFL. The only thing that could hold him up is the learning curve coming from a very simple read-and-react scheme at Tulane to what is considered a very complex scheme under Coach McDermott here in Buffalo. Again – Another training camp competition is going to be a pretty interesting one as far as it shakes out. Right. We have to take a break here because hour number two will begin with a full-scale breakdown of the tape of each and every one of Buffalo's draft choices with who else? Senior producer from NFL Films and co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show, Greg Cosell, next on One Bills Live. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome to hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, One Bills Live. And pleased to be joined now for a full wrap-up on the 2023 draft class for the Bills. Senior producer from NFL Films and co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. It is one Greg Cosell joining us. And Greg, before we get to the draft class, there is breaking news. Tom Pelissero. <laughs> From NFL Network is reporting that the Bills are signing former Seahawks nose tackle Puna Ford to a one-year deal. One of the top free agents still available, Tom Pelissero says, Ford turned down more money elsewhere to try to win a ring in Buffalo. We, uh, we had Brandon Bean in studio here yesterday, Greg, and he did lament the fact that he was unable to come up with a defensive tackle in the draft. He said the board just did not fall their way. What does this addition do to their ranks, knowing it's essentially the same quartet that was here last year, now with Puna Ford added on top? Yeah, Puna Ford, Brownie, two years ago in Seattle, 
he had a really outstanding season. And I know the Seahawks thought that he'd be a foundational piece going forward and didn't have quite the same year this past year, which is obviously why he's a free agent. Um, he is short, stocky, uh, built very low to the ground, but has tremendous quickness, really quick feet for that body type. Uh, at his best, sort of playing nose, no shade. I mean, that's the kind of player he is, but but he's very, very quick. Um, so he's kind of an in interesting guy because his body type does not suggest that kind of movement ability and that kind of foot quickness, but that's really what his game is. Yeah, he's listed at like 5'11". 310 pounds. Yeah, yeah, 310. So, yeah, he's got to bring something to the table to have been as effective as he was out in Seattle at least two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's the quickness, uh, Steve. He's really at his best. That's what he is. He's got. He's just one of those kind of freakishly built guys because he's so short, um, but he's really quick. Yeah, and I got to imagine he wins a lot of leverage battles. Twenty tackles for loss over his last three seasons with seven sacks. Kind of a run stuffer yeah. by trade, though. Um, but let's move on to the draft class here, Greg. I know you were uh, fond of Dalton Kincaid's tape. Um, yeah. And it's it's a weapon. I mean, a lot of Bills fans felt that the Bills needed to add like a quote unquote number two passing weapon. And I think a lot of people just naturally assumed that in the draft that would be a receiver. But that that idea came and went quickly when four receivers went in a row from basically 20 to 22 or 23. So, you know, basically Brandon Bean pivots and goes for the best pass-catching tight end in the draft. Question to you, in time or maybe sooner rather than later, can this guy develop into the number two passing weapon in this offense behind one Stefan Diggs? I think he can. And, you know, it's interesting you said the word receiver because that's exactly what Dalton Kincaid is. In fact, at the end of my transition, uh, when I did my evaluation of him, I said that he can be used and deployed within the context of an offense much in the same way that Travis Kelsey can. Now, obviously, we know he's not Travis Kelsey as we speak today, but he's got those kind of athletic traits, those kinds of hands. Um, you can see in these uh, shots how incredibly athletic he is. He's kind of long and lean. He could probably add a few pounds uh, and get a little bigger without losing any of his quickness. Um, he's a, gr you know, the hands are what also really stand out. This guy catches everything. So he's a receiver more than he is a pure tight end. And we've talked a little bit. The, the intriguing part is how much does he see the field? Certainly he's not a run-blocking tight end like Dawson Knox is for the Bills. But if you're going to go 12 personnel, certainly he's one of those two guys. But, you know, the Bills ran 4% of that last year. Even if they double it, wow. it's less than 10. It's one out of 10 snaps. How many snaps does Kincaid get? Certainly, even if you put him out there, he can be a slot receiver, like you said. But that's the intriguing question that people are trying to answer. Well, they're going a little crazy up there in Buffalo, Steve, because they drafted Osiris Torrance and they just signed Latavius Murray. So this, right. who knows? Maybe this is going to be a 12 personnel offense and they're going to run the ball because Osiris Torrance is a power offensive guard. I mean, his game is built on engagement, physicality. Toughness, competitiveness, far more than athleticism and finesse. So I was joking a little bit. Obviously, it's not as if they're you know going to take the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. But I don't think he traded. I don't think Brandon Bean traded up 
to get Dalton Kincaid, especially with some of the reports I've heard, and I, I, I've heard Brandon Bean talk about it. So, Brand, so Dalton Kincaid's going to play 10 snaps, Steve. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, so K Kincaid's a receiver. He can block. He's not. That's not his calling card, but he did line up at, attached to the formation at Utah. He did line up in, in wing alignment. So he, he was used as a blocker. So I think you're going to see more 12 personnel. And, hey, you, you might see more run game or, or, or more run game looks. Let me ask you this, because one of our callers brought this up. I thought it was a very astute point concerning Osiris Torrance. If, in fact, he wins the starting job at right guard, which many people have him penciled in there, even though he'll be competing against David Edwards and the incumbent starter Ryan Bates, let's just say he wins the starting job. How, how much does he help in terms of integrity of the pocket and things of that nature, knowing in his own division there are players like Quinnen Williams, Christian Wilkins, and Christian Barmore. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you're drafting Torrance because you believe that he can win the job. And, you know, even though his game is built more on physicality and power, um, does he struggle on occasion? Did the tape show that he struggled on occasion with interior quickness when he could not control pass rushers early in the down with his strong hands? Yes, but... He's a guy that that he wins in pass protection, mostly Brownie, with his size, his mass and his strong hands. You know, he's not an unbelievable lateral movement athlete, but he is a strong, strong man. And he's got tremendous arm length. His arm length is almost 34 inches, which is really good for a guard. And he's six, five, almost 340 pounds. So he is a big, big man. And, you know, his game is built on on strong, heavy hands, power. You know, he, he's a guy that he wants to control and engage early in the down. That's the way he wins in pass protection. Yeah, no question. He's a he's a big body and is perfect for down inside when you got to move the pile. Guys like him are the guys that can get it done. We've also taken some phone calls today, Greg, about people saying it's quite the shift from going uh, from a physical specimen like Tremaine Edmonds at middle linebacker, a 6'5", 250-pound guy with an enormous wingspan and he you know he seems to cover up a lot of space to you know the last two years the bills have taken um, I, finger quotes modern linebackers they're both you know six two and under 240 and under uh, maybe 230 and under uh, just a smaller size of linebacker who are more athlete than they are run stuffer what are your thoughts about uh, dorian williams for the bills yeah i liked his tape a lot he his athletic testing measurables were phenomenal i mean Yes, he's a little undersized. He was 228 at the combine. Um, he, he fits the profile, certainly more of that scrape and flow, run and hit backer. He's got great play speed. He's got that inside, out, sideline to sideline pursuit range. Um, but he plays physically. I mean, he's got really quick feet. I thought he had really strong key and diagnose play recognition instincts. Um, he had a quick trigger. Um, even though he doesn't have the mass you'd ideally like, I thought he played with physical toughness and he has really long arms and I thought he used them really effectively, you know, in terms of arm extension, which allowed him to take on and shed blocks of, of climbing O-linemen. So even though he's a smaller guy, I think he plays bigger um, in some ways. And you guys will remember this guy is still in the league, obviously, but he kind of reminded me of Quan Alexander coming out of LSU. Yeah. I think it was uh, 2015 and Alexander started right away for the Bucks and put up big tackle numbers, 
athletic guy, you know, played a little more physically. I like Dorian Williams a lot, and, and I think that he would have a chance to start. Whether it's him or Terrell Bernard or, heck, even Balen Spector um, or Tyrell Dodson, how important is it having the mass that they have at the defensive tackle position, you know, Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips, sure. um, and, and it sounds like Puna, Puna Ford. Ford as well. So how much does that help yeah. kind of cover up when maybe you don't have a middle linebacker that goes 240? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, obviously. You know, with someone like Dorian Williams, um, as I said, you know, he is a, a kind of a run and hit kind of player. You know, scrape and flow, you want him to be relatively clean. Uh, it doesn't happen on every play, but that becomes absolutely critical, and you try to structure your fronts. Um, they're they've been predominantly an over front, meaning that the three technique is shifted to the strong side of the offensive formation. Um, I don't know if that'll change. Obviously, Leslie Frazier is not there this year, so there could be some changes. Yeah, probably not drastic. It's been a good defense, but there could be some changes. But the point you made, Brownie, is absolutely right. You know, when you have Milano and uh, Dorian Williams, if it's Dorian Williams, who I think plays much bigger than Bernard. Bernard, I, Bernard plays smaller to me. Williams plays bigger. When we move down the list, Justin Shorter, the guy, the wide receiver who's got some really good measurables, big, tall, uh, can run fast, uh, not real explosive out of the blocks, but uh, catches the ball well and wins some 50-50 balls. Now, what are your thoughts about uh, Justin Shorter? Yeah, Justin Shorter is an interesting guy, Steve, because he, he started at Penn State and then transferred to Florida. He actually came out of New Jersey as the number one wide receiver prospect in the country and was a top 20 recruit regardless of position. Um, it hasn't quite worked out, but you're dealing with a guy that's 6'4", 224, tremendous arm length. He, he can run vertically. You know, he, he's got accelerating speed. Um, so, you know, he's another guy that in some ways almost has a tight end build, um, you know, a, a slimmer tight end build, um, but he's he's got a great body, looks the part, tremendous length, stride length see these tall guys have stride length and even though they might not get off the ball with explosion once they start accelerating and they build up speed they eat up a lot of ground i mean he he caught a 51 yard touchdown versus lsu where he got on top of the corner and it, that was a great example of just you know the vertical dimension and the stride length so he'll be interesting he, he's a guy that you know, I think if you looked at him three or four years ago when he started Penn State, people might have said, hey, this guy will be a first-round pick, and it just never quite worked out for whatever reason. But um, he's an interesting guy. He talked, when he talked to the media here after getting drafted, Greg, he talked about all of this work that he spent on ball tracking, especially on deep yep. passes. He was doing them with tennis balls. He had guys chucking him tennis balls. He even had his mom throwing them to him. Um that's how much he was working on it. He's forcing his mom out to the playground or the ball field or whatever to chuck him tennis balls. And he said it made a difference. And I mean, over the last two years, he had one drop on 116 targets. Um, yeah. What do you think about his deep ball tracking skills? Um, you know, I think they're not bad. I mean, I think that, you know, that's some, that's kind of, something he'll have to do i mean because he has vertical ability when he could stride off the ball and, and then get on top of college corners um so we'll see if he can do that in the nfl 
but I think that he can do that. And uh, big scoop here, he's pro- there's probably going to be some deep balls thrown with Josh Allen. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, no question. And go back and look uh, at the guard. The, and we had Cynthia Freeland on to uh, on our podcast, and she said she likes it kind of when teams double down on a position to kind of pick a later make sure pick that you get um, a guy. And that Nick Broker for the Bills is a guy they got late in the draft. Uh, he's two hundred thirtieth overall. Uh, how good can he be, and what's his upside, or, or what's his possibilities? Yeah, and Nick Broker is a classic case of a guy, you know, who you draft late. He's a four-year starter in the SEC. He played guard this year after playing left tackle for three years. Quite frankly, the reason he's drafted where he is is because his tape was not that good. If his tape was really good coming out of the SEC, he obviously would have been drafted higher. So what you hope is that, you know, your O-line coach, Aaron Cromer, who's been doing this a long time, can turn him into a solid player because there's there's a lot of deficiencies in his game. And and they said, what people have to understand is when a guy gets drafted later, and you guys know this, it's because there are deficiencies in his game. You know, he's got some, he's got heavy feet. He's not that quick laterally. His change of direction isn't exactly what you want. But when you look at his build and his frame, he's strong, he's sturdy, he plays aggressively, he can generate some power, he's physical, he's tough. Um, when he does come off the ball low with leverage, he can drive block and down block in the run game. Um, he competes in pass protection. He's not a great pass protector, but he competes hard. And, you know, when you play inside, it's not a beauty contest. Often it's more about just competing. And, and yeah, and we also heard that, you know, the reason he might project inside is his arms aren't particularly long either. No, they're short. Yeah. Yeah. So that would kind of make sense there. And that's kind of what Brandon Bean said. He said he'll start at guard. And then, you know, if they have instances where they need somebody to take a few snaps out of tackle, they may kick him out there just to get a few reps here and there. The other interesting thing that he said about um, Broker is he has taken snaps in his career. He hasn't done it in a game, but he knows that he has done it before. So that was some interesting intel uh, on Broker as well. The last guy of the group, uh, Mr. Austin from Oregon State, the corner, uh, this he fits the bill from a measurable standpoint, Greg. They love their long corners up here, and he is yeah. long. Yeah, I, he's one of those guys, Brownie. I don't understand why he's a seventh-round pick. You know, he's six-one. Okay, now he ran the four-four-five, which might turn some people off, but he doesn't play like that. He plays faster. Now, I'm not suggesting he should have been, you know, up in the top ninety picks, but I watched this guy, and I kept thinking to myself. What's the difference between this guy and a guy taken in the fourth round? I mean, this guy has size. He's got length. He's got good movement. Um, now, he's not sudden and twitchy. You know, the the great corner prospects tend to be more like that. But he played mirror match press man really well. I thought he played zone really, really well, which, you know, Brownie, you and I have talked over these last couple of years. Yeah. Not a lot of college corners come into the NFL really understanding zone. I thought he had great awareness of routes, played with really excellent eye discipline. Um, I thought in off coverage, he showed plant and drive burst on routes in front of him really, really well. Now, sure, does he have some some flaws? Of course he does. Uh, but I just kept watching this guy, and I just kept watching some games because I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's the problem here? What, what am I missing? And I don't know. I didn't think I was missing a lot. Now, I'm not suggesting he's going to start at outside corner this year, but I think down the road this guy has starter traits in the NFL. 
Yeah, certainly that's the one thing that grabs you when you look at him. He's 6'1", 190, and, and he looks the part. And you look at the Bills' corner yeah. room, all those guys fit that description. So you, that's probably where it started for Brandon Bean. But then, you, like you said, it's hard to find warts on his film. Yeah, I mean, he's, again, I can, you know, I'm not going to sit here and read you all my, you know, my five or six things that I thought were potentially concerns because every player has something coming into the league. But I just, I thought he was actually a pretty good prospect. But you know how it is with corners now. You go to the combine and all these corners run 4-4 four, four or less, and he's a 4-5 five, five guy. So people might have thought, okay, he just can't run. But he doesn't play like that. Yeah, right. and the other thing too, Greg, that I find interesting is he's well-versed in a number of defensive coverages. And there was another guy that the Bills took in the sixth round last year that had a well-rounded game in terms of being exposed to a lot of different coverages, and that was Christian Benford, who they took in the sixth round. The guy wound up starting week one. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Austin, but it seems like the Bills have found the type of DB that they look for late in the draft, someone with a well-rounded body of work in multiple coverages. That... I mean, that's it's I, I'm probably stating the obvious here, but that would seem to um, help guys assimilate faster, knowing the varied coverages they're going to be asked to play in the league. Yeah, well, that's why I mentioned that the zone, you know, the zone stuff I thought was really good. And, and, and you know, as I said, Brown, you and I have discussed there are a lot of corners that come into this league that aren't really good in that area. Yeah, you know, they don't necessarily do that well. Um, I thought he really had great awareness in zone coverage. And I, I just, I liked his tape. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, he should have been a top 40 pick or he's going to start from day one. But I can see this guy being a starter down the road with coaching and development. All right, so the draft is over, and now we've wrapped up the Bills draft class. What film are you going to be able to watch now that gives you <laughs> any kind of sufficient, you know, fix for your film junkiness? Well, Steve, I'm a little nuts. So here's, well, you guys know that. I probably didn't need to say that. That's right, that's right. Yeah. You know, what I tend to do in the in the summer is I tend to take some NFL teams um, that I find really interesting, either on offense or defense and watch five or six games in a row, which is something I can't do during the season because you see it totally differently when you watch, you know, five or six games in a row as opposed to watching it every week mixed in with everything else. So I'll do that with with some teams. And then I also, believe it or not, will start watching some college guys who will be in next year's draft. Like I'll start to watch Caleb Williams, the quarterback from USC. You know, I'll watch Marvin Harrison. I'll watch Brock Bowers. You know, I'll watch guys who are obviously going to be in next year's draft. Yeah. Good uh, stuff. What do you think is the the biggest thing you pull out of watching the same team in consecutive games? Just the way in which – the play calling and the scheming morphs and changes based on the opponent. What do, what do you pull from that the most? Yeah. What I can see Brownie more so than when I watch it just during the season is um, concepts, schemes, and situations. That's, that's what it's tough to do for me during the season. So like, for instance, if I look at a stat and see a team like Buffalo, for instance, they're really good on third down. Obviously every team has concepts. So if I just looked at, let's say, you know, a hundred third and six plus plays, I would see concepts. Here's what they like to do on third down from this part of the field. You know, that's hard for me to do during the season, you know, to find focus like that. So I, I really like to do those kinds of things in the off season. Fair enough, Greg. Good Thanks stuff. as always for the time. Appreciate all your help during the pre-draft run up and post-draft here. We'll catch up with you soon. Enjoy your summer, man.
All right, you two guys, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, right. Greg. That's Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. I'm kind of encouraged how much he likes Alex Austin. I mean, we've had late-round picks at corner stick before. Dane Jackson. Levi Chris, Wallace. Christian undrafted. Benford. I mean, just think about the recent history alone. I mean, since 2020, you're talking Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, and now you got Alex Austin. They know how to find those late-round guys at the DB position. For four years, they had an undrafted rookie free agent starting at corner when they made it all the way deep in the playoffs, the AFC Championship game, and Levi Wallace. Now he's playing for Pittsburgh. But, yeah, uh, that seems to be something that – and we've talked about For some reason, the Bills and the way they set it up, they, they pick those guys. And they, they may have some other things where they find it hard to pick a guy that's, that's really good, right? I, like, for instance, we always talk about the Patriots not being able to pick up yeah. wide receivers and, and you know, other teams that struggle to grab a running back or grab an offensive lineman or tackle or something like that. Teams do seem to have these blind spots where they struggle to get a guy with the right talent or the right skills to help them at a certain position. The Bills have got that. all They're all over it when the cornerbacks come up. Yeah, and maybe the most interesting thing that Greg said about Alex Austin was – in his mind, the traits combined with the length, combined with the anticipation skills and the ability to anticipate, he said, I don't see how he's any different from some of these corners that yeah. got taken in the fourth round. And yeah. I realize on day three, the variance in you know, the best player in round four and the best player in round seven is probably a lot smaller than the best player in round one and the best player in round three. But still in yeah. all... If you're getting a fourth-round quality player in the seventh round, and let's not forget, we talked extensively about how deep the corner class was this year. Bills might have something. There. I'll say this. If, if Alex Austin would have ran a 4-4-5 instead of a 4-5-5-40, he's not there. No, he's, he's, he's off there. the board he's round five pick, at the latest, yeah, probably, Yeah, he's not right? there at pick 252. He's down in the 90s. Oh, you think he's top 100? 6'1", 195, and played okay. a ton. Yeah. And, he, and he's got zone as well, zone experience and yeah. plays that well. I, I, that, that's hard to do because you get these corners in there, and, and typically at the collegiate level, they play all man or they play, you know. Well, yeah, if you're an elite, do, like Kyrie right, Elam, for example. Right. You he just, played almost all press man right. the they whole, just his say, whole career. Take that guy out of the game for us. Yeah. You know, they make it simple on everybody they can because they got this guy who's better than everybody else. But if you've got a guy who can has a wide-ranging skill set, can play zone, keep his eyes on the quarterback, break on route concepts rather than watching a guy he's actually covering, it's valuable. So I'm telling you, that that's why everybody's so obsessed with it when the combine comes around and all these measurables they talk about, those things get you drafted higher when they're there yep. because you're less of a risk. We have to take a break here. When we come back, some more of your thoughts on what is your rookie year outlook for Buffalo's top two draft picks, Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. We'll get some of those thoughts on the tweet sheet to you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, asking you what is your rookie year outlook for the Bills' top two picks. How much you think they're going to be on the field? Do you expect them to win a starting job? Do you think they're just a role player? You let us know what you think 
at 803-0550-1-888-550-2550. Let's go to the tweet sheet. Crack that thing open. And it's brought to you, as always, by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Kelly kicks us off and says, very high hopes for both rookies. Maybe not immediately, but down the stretch. Kincaid's pass-catching ability will offer Josh a safety net and have Big O blocking up front will help the run game for sure. Um, I, I don't know if I've heard that description of Kincaid before, a safety net. I think we do think that Kincaid can help a lot in terms of being a blitz beater, much the same way that Cole Beasley was for his time here. Um, granted, they're not the same player, but they find space in the voids of a defense similarly. Yeah, every it's just a quick answer after the snap where a guy who knows how to find a, a vacant area in the defense sit down and just present himself to the quarterback. It doesn't sound very hard but some guys just don't do it as well as others and you got to do it fast and you got to and you're <clears throat> what when they talk about rapport with quarterbacks what it really means is the quarterback looks at you and can tell what you're going to do by your body language and so he doesn't have you don't have to you know either through repetition or talking to him or whatever he gets an idea like oh I know what he's going to do here it comes because it's going to work and he can let go of the ball before you're really even ready for it or before the defense is even settled in. The ability to give the quarterback confident options quickly after the snap when the defense catches them, catches you in a blitz or something when you're unexpected is huge for an offense to be able to stay on the field when it's third and nine or third or second and nine. Or, you know, even first and ten, first and fifteen. It gives you a chance to get in front of the sticks instead of behind them. Uh, you just get a quick positive play out of something that could have been catastrophic. That's it. Yeah. And some guys are good at it. Some and some guys just don't get it. And it, you know, for me, it, is, it always came down to you have a guy like Cole Beasley did it, and maybe can, Dalton Kincaid can do it. But I know this: your quarter. It's just you think exactly like your. You know what your quarterback wants, and you give it to him. That's it. You right. know where the quarterback wants you to go. You get there, and you and you're there. And you don't think about it. You don't. You just do it. And the quarter quarterbacks love that stuff. And they just keep feeding those guys the ball just to stay on the field and, and live to play another down. It's not hard. Yeah. That's why I got on the field, and Jim used to throw me the football all the time because I knew how he thought because I'd been watching him from the sidelines for like years <laughs> and it took you know it took an absolute train wreck for me to get on the field but when I did I knew what he wanted yeah and that's what I did and so he'd throw me the football even though we hadn't didn't have many reps together on the field or certainly not in games he felt comfortable with it because I knew how he thought and that's what a quarterback wants he's a guy that thinks like I do and that will be paramount to Kincaid getting on the field establishing that rapport that Steve speaks of with uh, Josh Allen, and hopefully that happens sooner rather than later for his sake. Allen on the tweet sheet says, Osiris Torrance out of the gate. I can see Kincaid getting used sparingly the first part of the season until he gets the game speed down. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think if Torrance wins the job, it, he's the starter coming out of camp, right? Week one. I don't think there's any question. All of us expect Kincaid to be on the field in 12 personnel. Correct. I don't know 
Does he replace a receiver in 11 is the right. question. I don't know how much of the 11 personnel they use all the time is going to take place. Yeah. Because it may depend on how Sherfield and Hardy and Shakir do. If one of those guys is knocking it out of the park, they don't need to go 12 with Kincaid. I think when they go one tight end and regular down and distance, Dawson, Dawson Knox is going to be the guy because he's a better run blocker and he's proven through the course of his – got a second contract with the team. He's proven they trust him. So, from I go back to it. I don't know if Kincaid's going to see the field that much depending on the 12 personnel mix because of the way we've seen the sparing nature – of rookies play in this offense. Right. Um, and that's what our next tweet's about. Say when says, I think they both can have big impacts, providing the head coach doesn't wait till midseason to play them. So this is a narrative that Bills fans are very familiar with, and I think it reached a crescendo last year because there were times, as we've said on this show before, where the offense looked like a heavy lift and – I think people were eager to see if James Cook or Khalil Shakir could make it look a little less difficult knowing their skill sets. And we did see more of them down the stretch, and they made some plays. And so I think it only raised the opinion and the volume all the more on what a portion of the Bills fan base wanted, which was the young players on the field sooner rather than later. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that. Yeah. You think about it. Because Sean McDermott, I think it's a given that he's got his finger on the pulse of, of that. And he yes. sees it like we do. There's, but he also knows some reasons behind it. Is it Ken Dorsey trying things? Is it Ken Dorsey's not being able to come up with some easy button throws like you say? Or is it the players on the field? Was he – they were trying to make things go with – a fact that, you know, Jamison Crowder couldn't get on the field because he was busted leg. Now they're trying to make it work with James Cook and Motor Singletary. And what were the problems with that, and why did it look hard at times? What's the problem? So if you think Sean McDermott's got his finger on that, that's one thing. What were those reasons? Because we all saw it. But then again, yeah. over the last two years, the Bills have won 18 games by more than one score. They were number two in the league in scoring last year. Nobody else in the league has even 16 wins by double, by more than two scores. From 21 and 22, the Bills have 18 of them. Nobody else has more than 16, and that's the Niners. Then there's a couple of teams like Kansas City and those that have Philly and Philly that have 15. But Bills have 18. There's nothing wrong with the offense. Certainly, it was hard to watch sometimes last year, but they were <laughs> that was in a game where they were ripping people. So, yes, yeah, certainly it's not going to look honky-dory all the time. It, it, it doesn't for other teams as well. That's just the nature of the league. So, you can sit here and say, well, he should have done this and should have done that. He should have played this guy. So, they could have won by three scores instead of two when nobody else can even win by one? I mean, that's – I mean – there was really no pressure on Sean McDermott or Ken Dorsey last year to overhaul their philosophies, right? But when you get into an offseason, you think, okay, how can we get better? Well, we could get a guy who gives us a little more with a bigger body. Let's, let's plug him in, see how he does. We've got the running back. Let's see if Cookie can, 
you know, if Cook can be a bigger role this year, we kind of cleared the deck for him with Motor Sing- Devin Singletary gone. All right, we'll see if we can do that. Now we brought in these two other guys, Sherfield and Hardy. Hardy is a fast guy who's going to take the lid off it. And Sherfield, he carved out a role for himself on one of the really good off- – when it was clicking, the op- Miami offense was really going, and he was a part of it, and nobody even knew who he was. But with the two guys they got in Waddle and Hill, this guy really emerged mm-hmm. in that environment. It's like, okay, well, now what are we going to do with him? So – they have really put some focus on this offense, and not to mention the guys up front. So, yeah, in this last offseason, it does look like they focused on it and elevating the depth and the quality of guys outside around Josh Allen. We'll see if it works, but philosophically, man, I don't know that they're thinking they're saying we got to tear it all down and rebuild it because it was hard once in a while. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, oh, I get it. I, you know, they may have some better toys and some better tools and some more wide-ranging sets and personnel combinations than they did a year ago. But as far as being more productive, man, that's a big ask. That's a big ask. Right. Um, Philip on the tweet sheet says, Kincaid, 60-plus targets, 40-plus catches, more than 350 yards receiving, six touchdowns. He should eat a lot of slot and red zone targets. Torrance compete for the starting job immediately. I would be disappointed if Torrance can't take the full-time job by midseason. Disappointed if the tight end can't eat into targets enough to be on par with Gabe Davis. So let's just take a quick look, Steve. Gabe Davis last season had 93 targets and 48 receptions. Dawson Knox had 65 targets and the same number of receptions as Gabe Davis. 48. And then Stephon Diggs obviously ran away with it. 154 mm-hmm. targets, 108 receptions. McKenzie had 65 targets. 64? 154. 54. 108 on reception 108, count. Yeah. Meanwhile, McKenzie, 65 targets, 42 catches. And then Singletary was next with 52 targets. So you would expect a lot of Singletary's targets to go to Cook. Who had only twenty one? Who had only thirty two last year? You would expect his numbers to go up about twenty twenty five. Where does Kincaid? Who does Kincaid into eat into? It's probably Gabe Davis. Ninety three targets. McKenzie's targets. And McKenzie, yeah. He'll get. But you know, Khalil Shakir is going to get more too. Right. He only had twenty last year. It all comes down to it's like a basketball team, man. Who's getting the minutes? Yeah. Who's getting the reps? Are they going to – because if they go 11 personnel like they did last year, Kincaid's going to be over there drinking Gatorade. That's, yeah. you know, and they're re- this just in, <laughs> they're really good out of 11 personnel. They are. But the question is, do you make Kincaid one of those guys right. that are the receivers in the 11 personnel, not the tight end? Technically, on paper, it'll read 12 personnel. But if he's replacing yeah. a receiver – slot or split out wide, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a different animal. Running in motion and that kind of thing. Yeah, we'll see. Got to take a break here. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet next on what is your rookie year outlook for the Bills' top two picks. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet as we were asking you for your thoughts on the rookie year outlook 
for both Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. B. Hicks says Kincaid should be an immediate impact, maybe not a crazy amount of stats, but presence alone will demand respect from defenses and open up Diggs, Davis, and Knox. Torrance, I don't see starting over Bates in year one, but will provide very solid depth at the position. I kind of think he's going to give Bates a run for his money. Um, yeah, I think Bates, <clears throat> as you were saying, Steve, before he came back on the air, sharp as attack, versatile tough. player. Yeah, tough, hard-nosed player. But he, he just simply does not have what Osiris Torrance has, which is a massive size, super long arms, and He's the power to gifted. just anchor down and hold his ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to beat. Yeah, it is. Uh, and who knows? We're we're going to go around and then we're going to have to find out what's going to happen in training camp about how Kincaid's snap counts are going to look and and what it's going to look like when he's out there. Um who's because, with him. Yeah, who's he when he's out there, who's not? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, like, are there two receivers on the field? Are there three? You is know? it is it Knox, Kincaid, and two receivers, or is it Kincaid and three receivers? Yeah, and split it out. Uh, you know, um, that's that's all on the table. It's, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they do this. Yeah, Andrew says competition is the outlook that I see. Couldn't have been said much better. Uh, that is it for us today. Thanks you for all the responses on the phone lines and on the tweet sheet. Steve and I will catch you tomorrow for a Wednesday edition of One Bills Live. We'll see you at 1.